I was telling someone earlier, you're going to end up overhired, but it autocorrected to overtired. I was like, well, that's true too. You'll end up overhired. You'll end up overhired and overtired and overwhelmed and all of the other over things. You will end up over it. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. All right, we're back for another episode of the Visionary CEO Podcast. I am Brianne Dick. This is Jill Giovanazzo. Although, if you ask Zoom which one of us was who, it's been very confused lately. Don't even get me started. I've been seeing this actually quite frequently with clients lately, how they'll log in and maybe one of their team members will log in. It's completely different accounts, but like the name and the profile picture will be of the same person. Yeah. It, I, was, I don't get it. I was headed into a call today and I got on and before the picture actually turned my camera on, the person I was meeting with said, oh, Jill's going to join us too. And I had to come on the camera and be like, no, sorry, <laughs> Zoom's telling you a lie. Zoom thinks it's Jill. It's actually me. But for the sake of those who are listening, you have both of us today. We are not I the same I am person. actually present. Yes. <laughs> Jill, Jill is actually present as her real, authentic self. And we've got a doozy of a myth yeah, today. I'm- I'm looking forward to really talking about this one because this is something I see quite frequently, both with our clients and also just in the general online business world that comes up on a regular basis. I was actually part of a Facebook conversation thread today. And I don't know, there was like 126 comments on this post. And I would say 90% of them were saying exactly what this myth says. And I couldn't really go through line by line and be like, no, it's a myth. No, it's a myth. No, it's a myth. (laughs) But now that we have a whole podcast episode to dedicate to it, I feel as though I can get on my soapbox. Jill, you can join me on the soapbox and we can talk about how it's a myth that in order to scale your business and handle all the work that comes with it, you're going to need to have a massive team. Can we just put that myth to bed once and for all in this episode? I hope. Maybe. Yeah, it's so pervasive, this Uh idea that you have to have a huge team, or you need to keep hiring Uh in order to handle more clients, new work, all of the various things. We only do want to work a certain number of hours in the week. Don't get me wrong. I am not a proponent of working every single moment you're awake and while you're asleep. No, definitely not. No. But there's this idea too, that once you hit that cap of the number of hours that you could reasonably work, then your service level starts to degrade. You start to hit burnout. Yeah, it's true. If Which you start is true. working 60 or 80 or more hours a week, you won't have the attention and the focus to be able to bring to your work. You hit this cap or this ceiling beyond which you're like, well, I can't work any harder. So what am I going to do? It's, it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg because mm-hmm. so many people will get in this situation and they're like, I can't afford to be making mistakes. I can't afford to have things be dropping through the cracks. You know, I can't be missing deadlines or, or whatever it happens to be because I can't give my clients a bad experience, especially for service-based businesses that are driven by referrals. You need to have a good experience because that's what's bringing in the money. But then yeah. on the flip side, if you're not the one doing the work, then you have to trust other people to do the work and they could 
create problems and have mistakes. Well, and then you add on to that the fact that you're bringing in people, you now have to pay them. It can get really, especially if you're bringing on a whole bunch of contractors, that can be get A, really expensive, and B, you're heading into that agency model territory, depending on your service industry, that can, for a lot of people, just feels like a lot of overhead and just a lot of weight. Yeah, I've heard it said that this idea of is it even worth it to build a business that's going to get to a million or multi-millions if you're going to end up with all that team, all the extra expense, and you're still going to just end up paying yourself the same amount as if it was you on your own doing the thing. I've even heard people say like, why would I bother with all that extra stress and all that extra Mm -hmm. responsibility Mm -hmm. to have that team? That's exactly what this conversation on Facebook was about. It was this idea that you have to take on all of this weight and responsibility and a a team and it has to be very expensive or you have to completely change your business model and go to a point where like you're doing DIY courses and Mm -hmm. you know super passive super leveraged and so it's either build a big team and risk client results or keep doing it all yourself and risk client results results or build a course and just give up on client results. Yeah, exactly. Like when you're building a course, when you have a DIY course, like that's a whole nother thing. And we've talked previously about how the audience that you've built, especially if you are used to doing high touch services, even high touch group coaching, the audience that you've built and the way that you deliver in that kind of high touch model is very different than the people that you would be serving with a low touch. The people who want to buy services or high touch coaching are not the people who are going to buy your low cost course and go through themselves because that's just not what they're interested. But let's get back on track, which is this idea that scaling requires you to have a big team with a bunch of people. And the flip side of that is it's rarely worth it because profit and your enjoyment of the business goes down as you scale as well. Yeah. And I think I'd really like to actually introduce one of our past clients, Anna Wolf, who really talks about this quite well in describing her business. I had always had contractors working for me. Like Pretty early on, I had more business than I could handle. So I was bringing in friends of mine that I'd worked with in in past companies that wanted to do freelancing as well. To do this freelance write, mostly writing is what we started out doing for our clients was writing financial content. So I'd always had contractors. Spring of last year, I probably had a dozen contractors working for me, doing the client service work, four or five that were working for me very regularly each month. I just, I hear that. I'm like, no wonder people don't want to scale a business because she had more business than she could handle. So she had to start bringing in friends, which if you've ever tried hiring friends, you know that's a really interesting way to try and adjust that relationship. And then she ends up with literally a dozen contractors that she's trying to coordinate. And I mean, it sounds like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. It, it actually ended up being a nightmare. <laughs> it was a nightmare. It doesn't just sound like a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Keep in mind, like she's no longer having the opportunity to do the writing because she's the one having to you know, do all the delegation. And we go back to season one and where we were talking about team and being the hub and spoke model, being the hub of all of these contractors and driving them forward, right? That is, a, again, that is a lot of weight. That's a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. 
and she's still going to be overwhelmed. In fact, she was still overwhelmed. Yeah. When I remember one of the first things that we did with Anna is we, we sat down because she was feeling her profit margins were too thin. Because this is the problem, right? You hire all of these people and you end up with your profit margins getting squished down to nothing, especially when you're hiring contractors. Because mm -hmm. when you're hiring contractors, you're not hiring other people, you're hiring other businesses. And businesses has overhead and marketing expenses and like you're paid for all of that stuff for someone else's business when you hire a contractor. We'll come back to that. That's a side note. But we looked at her numbers and I wish I could remember exactly what the number was, but it was, I think, over six figures that she was spending on team members that she didn't actually end up needing in the long run because she had a dozen people doing the work of like three or four people. So I, I remember the proportion. She okay. was in the high six figures and she was spending 60 to 70% of that on paying her contractors. Yeah. It was like tens of thousands of dollars a month that she was spending that when we actually looked at it, we're like, this money's just leaking out of your business. Yeah. Not just the money that you're paying to the contractors, but how much time are you spending having to coordinate with 12 different people? It's no wonder that she ended up feeling so overwhelmed, even though she had this team. I have my own little soapbox on this. I'm going to sidestep slightly onto on my other soapbox. And this is the difference between contractors and employees, mm -hmm. right? When you're hiring a contractor, you're hiring another business. And that contractor, they're building their own business. They have other clients. They have other focuses. They have other things going on. Mm -hmm. You are not their primary focus. Mm -hmm. You're not even maybe even their secondary focus add on to that, you're also paying for their overhead. Yep. Whereas when you have an employee, you've got more focus, you've got more dedication, they're bought in to your purpose, your vision and your mission and your values and your culture. They want to do this. And overall, you have less of a financial burden mm -hmm. for someone coming in and taking on more responsibility. But Jill, this is what I, this is what I'm hearing the listener saying is at least with contractors, you can pay them when you have lots of work. Whereas with employees, you have to pay them whether you have the work or not. And therefore, the responsibility and the feeling of responsibility feels so much greater when you have employees. And I can see where it's like, I would rather have a dozen contractors rather than two or three or four employees, even though it's going to be cheaper, because I don't actually believe, number one, that it's going to be cheaper. And number two... I don't want the responsibility of having to make payroll every month. No, and I get that. And it's certainly a balancing act. And then you add on to that too, like every time you add a new person to your team, whether they're an employee or a contractor, you start to have additional overhead. There's from a, an administrative perspective, coordinating the work, validating the work, making sure that the work is consistently getting back to your customer at the standards that you want it to, right? Yeah, Those like are the quality, balls we were talking about being dropped. The quality, quality assurance yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. Like you said, this is true whether you have contractors or employees. I just want to make a note that there's like a sub-myth under all of this, which is that employees have to be paid on salary, that you have to have an employee that you're going to pay them the same amount every month, month after month, when the truth is you can have hourly employees just like you can have hourly contractors. And so when you really look at it, yes, disclaimer, Employee versus contractor is a legal distinction. It's not actually a choice you get to make. It's a legal distinction as to which one you have. And your choice is whether or not you're going to operate with alignment with the law or against the law. But regardless of which way you go, as you're saying here, Jill, 
it's still more bodies and more people and more coordination. And so then what happens, then what happens is you end up needing to hire someone to manage all of these people that you've hired because you've hired too many people and your team is too big. And so your profit margins get even smaller because now you need to hire people to manage the people that you probably have too many of in the first place. Yep. That sums it up, doesn't it? It does. And it, you can just see how it just turns into the spiral yeah. of doing more, spending more, having more, hiring more. Needing like, more people, going. hiring more, spending more, needing more people. Yeah. And I, I think that this idea of, oh, you need an OBM, oh, you need an integrator, oh, you need a chief of staff, or whatever the title is for this person, that's a whole different story. And I think we've got an episode coming up where we're going to dig into that because that's another myth is that's the person mm -hmm. you should hire. But regardless, we've got a root problem here. And the root problem is that it feels as though you can't take on more work. That's what Anna said, right? Like we had more work than we could handle. So I needed to hire people. And that was true. Where the myth came in is that she thought the solution was to start hiring a bunch of people to do piecemeal work on contract because she could staff up and down. Exactly, right? It was this focus on the implementers, on hiring more people that could do uh, client delivery and creating the, the deliverables, mm -hmm. which caused a lot of the issues, right? How do you figure that out? How do you find that out? How did Anna find that out? Yeah, because what happened, and this is completely natural, right? You start your business, you're on your own, you hire someone to help, right? And they have however much work and they end up having maybe 10 hours a week. They can give you 20 hours a week, whatever it happens to be. And then they max out and you hit another cap. So you go and find another person and they can give you 10 hours a week. And then you max out and then you go and find another person and they can give you 10 hours a week. And it builds until you have 12 people who collectively are working like five hours here, 10 hours here, whatever. But in this process of hiring, just person after person, you never actually stopped to go back and say, what actually needs to happen in the business? And what are those jobs? Because you've been hiring people to do work, not to do jobs. Exactly, right? That's the difference between delegation and transfer of ownership, which we talk about in season one a lot, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's where you really need to step into and figure out, well, what does the business actually need? What needs to happen? And this is where the value map comes in that we work with our clients on. We've talked about again in season one of articulating really clearly all of the actions that happen and what exactly all of those are and who needs to be there to do them. Yeah. Do you need six different people all touching the same piece of the puzzle? Probably mm -hmm. not. And, and this is where triage comes in and really looking at that workflow, really looking at that value map and saying, do we need to do it this way? Should we be having five people doing this? What work is even happening and how is it being distributed? Does that even make sense? And really key one here, is it in alignment with value to the business and value to the client. How good is that? Because you want to maximize both of yeah. those. Is it really best for the client to have, you know, however many people you have on staff? Would it be better for them if you had a smaller team, a more agile team, a more focused team that was all pulling in the same direction? In a lot of cases, the answer is yes. I won't say in all cases, 
Yeah, but it a lot of in a lot of cases, a smaller team doesn't just improve your profit margins, but it actually improves the quality and the work that your clients are receiving, the experience that they're having and the results that they're getting. Yeah. And so from that evaluation, you can get really clear on what jobs you actually need filled in the business. And then looking at, do you have those people in the business right now? What does that look like to transition them? Mm -hmm. Do you need to hire? It answers a lot of those questions. But again, I think what's important that we're doing here and what we're talking about here is it's a move away from just hiring people to get stuff done. And instead, Mm -hmm. it's stepping back to a strategic level and saying, what does this team look like that's going to deliver this, right? Rather than just saying, oh, I need an integrator. Oh, I need more writers. Oh, I need more coaches. Oh, I need someone to do our social media marketing. That's hiring for tasks. But what is the actual job that person have? When you do that, like literally build an org Mm -hmm. and see what are the different jobs? How do they relate to each other? And what does each of those roles own from the value map? That is when you can start to see shifts. And that's what Anna experienced as well. What I really needed was like a managing editor because I was doing that every single day. I didn't have time to do anything else because I was editing all of our writers' work every day. And my first hire ended up being a woman who had been my virtual assistant. And then she was on maternity leave when I hired the in-person ops manager. And then that didn't work out. And I just had such a great feeling about this virtual assistant. Just everything about her, she was just so on brand for us Mm -hmm. and had so much enthusiasm for the work. And I knew she could do more than what I'd been giving her. So I ended up hiring her as our operations associate and has been the like, there's no pressure, like, it's for her to be our integrator, but yeah. could she be that one day? I, I would really hope so. That would yeah. be amazing. But it doesn't need to be, I don't need that right now. What I need is for people to do the, the jobs that are in front of us today. Yeah. There's so much just in what she said there. And it ties back to me, Jill, to what you had just been saying about how, like, you have people on your team. They probably could be doing more. And... This is such a perfect example where there was someone who was hired as a virtual assistant. And yet when we looked at what the business actually needed and the role that Anna needed in terms of the operations support, she didn't need to go hire some big like six-figure integrator. The job that she needed was actually one that could be filled by promoting training and investing in this person who was already on her team and giving the responsibility, more responsibility to this person. Yeah, that actually happens quite frequently because it's so fascinating. When we do this hiring methodology that we're indoctrinated into in traditional corporate America of hiring for delegation, hiring for tasks, we bring on people and they've essentially learned that they're only brought on to do this specific task and they're not allowed to go outside of that little boundary in that Mm -hmm. little box. But as soon as we start to expand how we look at a position and what the business actually needs and you reach out and you talk to your team members, so often they're just like, oh, thank you. I've wanted to, to do more, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it was okay. Yeah, yeah. Jenny talked about that in season two in the conversation mm-hmm. we had with her. You ask your team, and Autumn did as well. You ask your team and they're gonna be able to bring so much more to the table. And then the other thing that happens really frequently is, again, in the case of Anna, she had a dozen contractors and five hours here, 10 hours here. If you really looked at the total amount of time that was needed, it was what, three or four, three full-time people, I think. Yeah. And 
she was really afraid, like, oh, but these people don't want to leave their business. They won't want to come and work for me. And Jenny talked about that as well in our conversation with her in season two. Would someone even want to give up their business? And the truth is, there are so many people who become entrepreneurs and start their own business because they think it's the only way to be able to make the money they want and to be able to have a good work environment. But if you can give them the money they want and create a good work environment, everybody wins. And that there is a little micro myth in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Is that this is the only way to do that. And it's a, a micro myth, but it's also an assumption that so many of us go into that that's what everyone wants because that's what we wanted. And so we lose track of the fact that many entrepreneurs out there are actually intrapreneurs, mm-hmm. people that would do best embedding themselves in a business and focusing in on that business and helping it grow and utilizing their zones of genius in that capacity where they don't have to worry about all of the other pieces. They can just do their thing and be great. And because they're not having to spend their time doing all that other stuff, like they're not having to market their own business, they're not having to do their own billing, they're not having to do all of that, you end up not needing to invest as much financially, which means that you're more profitable by building Mm -hmm. a smaller team of people who have more responsibility, even if on paper, the hourly rate ends up being higher for an employee. It doesn't usually, but sometimes it will, right? Sometimes. But the results that you get and the effectiveness and the efficiency that you get out of that is so much higher that you can actually hit, there's a benchmark in a book, it's called Simple Numbers by Greg Crabtree. And he talks about how for every million dollars of revenue, you should be able to get there with no more than five or maybe seven team members. At most. And that's like total team. People will hear that and they'll say, oh, I could get to a million with less than five or seven team members, no problem. But they're not counting their copywriter on contract. And they're not hiring the person that they help hired help them run their social media. And they're like, there's all these other people that they forget about. You know, like you could actually have a core team of five people, including yourself, by the mm-hmm. way, and be um, at a million dollars without issue. Small caveat on that, in that we're talking about full-time. Right, yeah. Five to seven full-time equivalents. Yes, fair. But, in, you know, the, the Even at that. Exactly. So maybe some of those people are part-time. You end up with six, seven, eight people, whatever it happens to be. And it's still less. And there are so many people who are at 300,000, 500,000 who have a team already of eight or 10 people. Like oh, yeah. when you count... All of the people, like your graphic designer and your social media person and your web designer and your podcast producer, and like you, you can't, when you count all of those people, you probably have at least 10 people on your team already. And I don't blame you for not wanting to double your business because it feels like you're going to have to double your team. And so the math actually works the other way. Yeah, you can actually end up, like if you do the math the the way that we're talking about here, with only two or three team members, your profit margins would actually increase Yeah, because of this. Yeah. Because each team member you add gives you that little bit more space. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're doing 500K, two or three team members, including yourself, you should be able to have everything done and have breathing room and feel like, you know, you don't need a whole bunch more people to make this happen. Similarly, you know, we said at a million, five to seven, at 
uh, I don't know what's the the next <laughs> level above that two million three to f- three to five yeah, is three usually to f- where I see people jump to next right so uh, you know you just it multiplies and the math works out no matter what level you're at that's the rubric that I use which is you know we talked about go and do the value math figure out what the work is that needs to be done then organize it into jobs and I'd say really give yourself a challenge and figure out what your revenue is divide that the way we're talking about and say hey I'm at 500k I want to try and build as close to two or three jobs as I can, or I'm aiming for a million this year. I want to divide that in as close to five to seven jobs as I can and just see where you end up. Yeah. And I want to address something really small here that I often see come up with clients is this idea of, well, if I do that, there's all of this other work that these people have been doing. What happens to it? What happens to all the other things? Like, don't they get dropped? Aren't things going to break? And the key piece of it here is that quite frequently for a lot of people, less so for the contractors, but still it happens. Tasks expand to fill the time allotted to them. Yeah. I was actually going through this with one of our clients really recently, and and we were doing an analysis on her team members. And she looked at me afterwards. She's like, I don't know what he does all day because I thought he was doing way more. And what he's telling me he's doing is not enough to be the full time that he's actually working. So what's going on? Yeah. Or so much of that is filling time, doing extra tasks that actually don't move the needle. And that's what I was going to say. Or you get the laundry list back of here's all the things I accomplished this week. But when you actually look at it, how much of that made a measurable difference to the business? Yeah, sure. They posted five times on Instagram and they did whatever else. Did that drive leads or was it just busy work? Exactly. And I'm not saying that that kind of thing isn't good, but it has to move the needle. You have to be taking action towards meeting your goals. Everything that you do, everything that your team does should be something that moves you that much closer. Which again is why before you even figure out what the jobs are, you need to go to that value map. You need to figure out what the work is. You need to audit it and really dig in and say what needs to be done so I can build a team around that instead of just continuing on the way I have been. Because you're going to need to have more time to grow your business, right? More clients, more support, more marketing, more all of those things means more time will need to be invested at some point. And if it's not going to be your time, it needs to be someone's time. And so you will need more team members as you hire. But if you just keep, you know, blindly bringing on people piecemeal, you're going to end up overhired. You're going to end up I was telling someone earlier, you're going to end up overhired, but it autocorrected to overtired. I was like, well, that's true too. You'll end up overhired. That's perfect. You'll end up overhired and overtired and overwhelmed and all of the other over things. You will end up over it and you will want to scale and grow your team. But that's the myth. Yeah. Whereas that smaller team just will make it so much easier and smoother. Yeah. Yeah. Five to seven people million dollars, everyone pulling in the same direction, really owning their areas, really taking it and running with it. It's so much easier when that is what you're working with. And it's just, it's the way to go. It just is the way to go. Yeah. And so you you might be wondering, how do I actually make this happen? How do I go and actually put this into place? Because I am overtired, overstressed, overwhelmed, and all of the overs. Then I'm going to say to you, Go back to season one and listen to episodes six and seven and do the exercises there. 
Yeah. So we we Get talked in. today about the value map. We talked about the the team and how you align that. That's what episode six and seven walk you through. And then go ahead and give that a try and let us know how you make out. Message us on Facebook or on Instagram and tell us what you got. Tell us what you found. Yeah. And then as always, we appreciate you being here and listening from the unceded territory of the Qualcomm First Nation. I am Jill Jovnazzo and thank you. And we will see you next time on the Visionary CEO Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Jovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag visionaryceopodcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey there, it's Jill. We just wanted to take a moment to let you know that everything we've been talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with our clients in the Visionary CEO Academy. Our programs and masterminds are some of the most advanced business leadership opportunities out there and are designed specifically to help strategists, coaches, and other online business owners like yourself scale your business to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, by keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more information and to get started. Can't wait to see you there.